Romans chapter 4, and we will start today with uh, verse 16. I ran across this recently. See if you can relate to any of it. If you can relate to it, even to a small degree, you're not the only one. A, uh, a few statistics. Or maybe this is someone you love. Roughly 1 in 12 American adults reported symptoms of an anxiety order, disorder at this time last year. 1 in 12 at this time last year. That has risen to more than 1 in 3 today who report symptoms of an anxiety disorder. A recent Kaiser Family Foundation poll reports that for the first time, a majority of American adults believe the pandemic is taking a toll on uh, their mental health. And just re a just-released report from the CDC indicates that 11% of Americans seriously considered suicide in June. That's double the percentage from 2018. Rates were highest among those between 18 and 24. We live in serious times. And we come today, thank goodness, to the bottom line difference the, the, the book of Romans can make in our daily lives in serious times. In all the Bible, Romans is the book about faith. And today we'll see the simple secret of faith, of actually walking by faith, the secret of a faith that will get you through. Some of you might be wondering about that today, about how you're going to make it. You may be struggling with uh, infertility, like we'll see Abraham and Sarah were struggling. Or maybe it's your daughter or your granddaughter who are struggling in this way, and they're, they're dying on the inside. Or maybe it's the loss of a child, and it's such a tragedy. Or perhaps for you it's some, you know, infirmity, something that's wrong with your body, and it can't help but impact you in a big way, whether emotionally or spiritually or relationally, sometimes in every way. And it gets to the place sometimes where as you grow older, if it doesn't hurt, it doesn't work, as they say. Maybe some of you... Um, uh, someone that you love is sick, which can be just as hard in another way. Or for you, it may be a pay cut, or no pay, or no, no spouse if you're single, or a marriage that's not working. Not to mention what's come over this nation, or over the whole world. How do you find the faith to get you through, to live above it all? We're going to see today that you don't have to go looking for faith. As Paul said in Romans 10, you don't have to uh, ascend to the heavens or descend to the abyss to find it through some huge accomplishment. No, because faith comes by hearing, it says, and hearing by the word of Christ through the power of his word. The kind of faith that we need is not, you know, a great feat. It's not a godlike uh, undertaking. No, it's a childlike undertaking understanding. We're going to see today that the secret of a great faith, as I've titled this message, is simply the knowledge, uh, the true knowledge of a great God. It may sound simplistic, but it's true. To know him is all we need. Just like our mission says, the bottom line of everything is that we seek to know and show the enduring truth and love of Jesus Christ. The truth and love that endures and bears us up through it all. What difference can this make? 
Well, it's something like George Orwell wrote long ago. He said, in times of universal deceit, speaking the truth is a revolutionary act. In times of universal deceit, and if that's not today, I don't know what is, speaking the truth is a revolutionary act. And so what you'll be hearing today, the spoken truth of the word of Christ is a revolutionary act that can give you a foundation through it all. Through all the deception and insurrection, you know, that's come over the world, we need a revolution of faith in the the enduring truth and love of Jesus Christ. The faith that comes by hearing, the faith that comes not by some godlike undertaking, but by childlike understanding through the knowledge of a great God. What can that do for you? Well, Charles Spurgeon put it this way. This is from a sermon he preached on January 7th, 1855, when he was, believe it or not, 20 years old. He said, it has been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. The proper study of the Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls Father and his Savior. There is something tremendously improving to the mind and the contemplation of divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its infinity so deep that our pride is drowned in its uh, uh, immensity. And while he humbles the mind, he also expands it. He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. And while humbling and expanding, the subject is deeply consoling. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Would you uh, uh, then go plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea, be lost in its immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know of nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as the devout musing on the subject of the Godhead. And it is to this subject, he concludes, that I invite you this morning. And it is to this subject that I invite you too. How do you find the faith to get you through in a day that's taken literally a, a pandemic toll on mental health? It has to do with what we set our minds on. The secret of a great faith is the knowledge of a great God. The knowledge that comes by the revolutionary act of foretelling the truth of God, of speaking the truth of who he is in the face of all that would seem to contradict it. Because the revolution of faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ which is just the revolution that we need most these days. Not out there, but in here. We've seen so far in Romans that man's moral state is that of universal wickedness. And looking around us these days, you can't help but agree. 
That was Paul's point in Romans 1.16 to 3.20. Nobody's good. Nobody. Not you and me, not us, not them. Nobody's good except by faith that all good comes from God. It's all about faith in God. And then we saw God's stroke of genius in light of our universal wickedness, God's really master stroke, and that is faith righteousness, which Paul explains in Romans 3.21 to 31. We saw that you can become righteous in God's eyes. You can get right with God only if you truly repent of who you are, that there's nothing good in you and of what you've done and simply accept who he is and what he's done, his justification as we saw, his propitiation, his redemption. And we saw that it all happens thanks to God's love through an amazing love that will do anything to justify uh, mercy towards us, to nullify our pride so he can get through, and to amplify grace to all men. That's faith righteousness explained. That it's not about a great faith. It's about a simple faith in a great God. Two weeks ago, we moved on to chapter four and, started, and we went from faith righteousness explained to faith righteousness uh, illustrated. Paul cited Abraham as the precedent for this new teaching that he had because he knew that the Jews wouldn't accept this teaching unless Father Abraham would have agreed. We saw that in a lot of ways he was was the object of the Pharisees' faith and that we look to idols too, to men who truth be told we turned into gods. We saw that Paul had one goal through the first 17 verses of chapter 4, and that is to build Abraham up as a great man of faith by tearing him down as a great idol. Because he knew that they'd never get close to God so long as some, you know, some celebrity was standing in his place, and the same happens to us. That, this week, though, we turn from Abraham's precedent, the example of this great idol of theirs, to Abraham's secret the knowledge of a great God. We turn from the object of the Pharisee's faith, um, who was a mere mortal with feet of clay, Father Abraham, to the object of Abraham's faith, the Lord God Almighty. Romans 4, starting in verse 16. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations I have made you, in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not only for his sake only was this written, that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, 
He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and raised up for our justification. The key phrase here is in verse 17, and you might want to underline it. The whole passage turns on it. Four words in the New American Standard Version, him whom he believed. Him who he believed. And what did he believe? Well, underline verse 21. Being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. He believed he was powerful, and he believed he was faithful. And he still is. Him whom he believed. And what that means is this. It means what it means. Faith is not about the one who believes. It's not nearly as much about our belief as it is about him whom we believe. And just what about him is it all about? Just who was this one in whom he believed? Even God, verse 17b, God, who gives life to the dead, and you can underline this, and calls into being that which does not exist. And with those three underlines, you've got the heart of the passage. Whoa, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. This brings us to Paul's first point when it comes to the secret of Abraham's faith, and that is it came from the knowledge of a great God and in particular from the knowledge of God's power that he was fully able to accomplish what he had promised. His power, which is unlike any other. Two simple points before today. God is powerful. God is faithful. It's a power which is orders of magnitude above and beyond all other powers who gives life from the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Looking at the world around us, if ever there was a promise that we need for such a time as this, this is it. There's a God who gives life from the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. So much so that as we'll see, you can look at all in the face, all that's brought on such anxiety disorders and mental health issues and all the rest, and you can say, bring it on. The more the better, given the God we serve. How do you find that kind of faith? Well, you don't go looking for it because it's a byproduct. What you believe is a byproduct of who you know who brings life from the dead. That's the kind of God who's worth knowing because as we go through life, if you're anything like me, it's not just today, it's always. There are so many things that need to be raised from the dead. So many things that need to be called into being that do not exist. So many ways that you feel like you're believing in hope against hope like Abraham. So much that we lose this side of glory. For Abraham, it had to do with the deadness of his age. His body was as good as dead and the emptiness of Sarah's womb. It says in verse 18 that in hope against hope, he believed that he might become the father of many nations according to that which has been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now good as dead. So how was this going to happen? As he was about 100 years old and he contemplated the deadness of Sarah's womb. What kind of emptiness are you contemplating right now? 
Are you dying on the inside? Or is it happening to someone that you love? Maybe it has to do with your own body, like Abraham, or your bank account. Maybe the emptiness is there, or your marriage, or your children, or your sins. Just looking around at the world that's going to hell in a handbasket, and on top of that, a world that could become hell on earth. That's enough to look at. Maybe it's a barren womb for you, like it was for Sarah. Julie and I knew that one for several years. We knew that that's hard. We learned that, like Solomon said in Proverbs 30, 16, there are three things that will not be satisfied, yea, four that will not say enough, and one of those things is the barren womb. It was no easy test for Abraham and Sarah, and you can be sure that they really struggled over those 20 years between the promise and the fulfillment of that promise. There are a few things more painful, especially in that culture back then. An empty womb is an emptiness that can feel like all-encompassing as the sky. It can feel emptier even than a church that's lost its pastor. That's easy by comparison. But Abraham contemplated the emptiness of Sarah's womb, just as some of you have, contemplate, or have contemplated the emptiness you know, of this room. And he did not grow weak in faith. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, in the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God in advance of the fulfillment, being fully assured that what God had promised he was able also to perform. He was powerful. Why was he so foolish, fully assured? Why so full of faith? Yes, there was, you know, Abraham's side of it. He believed, it says, in hope against hope. He did not waver in unbelief, at least not permanently, though he went back and forth, three steps forward, two steps backward. Uh, he grew strong in faith, though, but it all came thanks to his focus on not his side of it, but on God's side of it, because he was fully assured that what God had promised, he was fully able to perform who gives life from the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. So what are you focusing on? Your uncertain future or your God? Your uncertain fear or your God? Your uncertain faith or your God? But what exactly are we to think about when it comes to this knowledge of God for a faith that will get us through? There are two things, again, that stand out about this God in whom Abraham believed and uh, the ways in which he did believe. The first, again, simply, he's all-powerful. God, Abraham had a great faith because he had the knowledge of a great God. He knew that God had the power to bring greater life out of death, and not only that he can, but that he promised that he would. And we know a God like that too. We know a God who has the power to call into being a greater fullness than you would ever have known without whatever emptiness you're struggling with. We know a God whose power is such that he turns pain into gain to the point that someday in light of the gain, you're going to be blessing the pain. It will happen. 
We know a God who turns the suffering of this present life, as Paul says, into a glory that's not worthy to be compared to it. We know a God who works all things after the pattern of the cross that we celebrate today, not coincidentally. The God who sweeps our lives up into the same pattern of death into life. through the power of the resurrection, those who have the Savior in them. We know a God who gives life from the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. You know, back in 1960, many people wondered what good could come from the, uh, the untimely death of a man who had a global ministry at 32 years of age leaving behind a young mother to raise a five- and a six-year-old on her own. You know, we'll never have all the answers this side of glory, but I'll tell you one thing. My father's death forged a depth in me and in my mother and in my sister that would never be there otherwise. The emptiness and the loss was <laughs> all-embracing as the sky, but God went on to fill it in a way that he could never have had I had an earthly father to rely on. And now I wouldn't change it for anything. And the deadness and the emptiness and the loneliness that to this day I still feel on the inside compels me to seek him every day in a way that I would never have sought him otherwise. And now his fullness can fill my soul and even a whole sanctuary sometimes like would never have been possible without the emptiness. And there's no time to tell the story, but he did the same through our infertility and through all those miscarriages after the pattern of the cross. And all you have your stories too those of you who know Christ as your Savior. Abraham believed because he knew something about the God who gives life from the dead and calls into being out of the emptiness that which did not exist. But there are two things, again, about Abraham's God, and not just one that he believed in. Two things that stood out about this God in whom he believed. The first is that he's all-powerful. The second is that he is faithful. It wasn't just faith in his power. It was faith in his promise. We hear about the promise of God. We read it four times in this passage in verses 13, 14, 16, and 20. And that's because the power will be of little comfort without the promise. Power is generic. A promise is specific. Power is general. A promise is personal. Power is universal. His promise is individual. And that's what we need. His promise means that his power is for you. Abraham clung to a promise that was for him, just as you can cling to promises that are for you. I don't know about you, but the chief pang of so many trials is the, the fear that... Um, 
that, that God has abandoned me. That's what a woman feels often whose womb is barren. That's what Sarah felt like. Maybe that's why she laughed when she first heard the promise. Sure, he's all-powerful to everyone but me. Just look at me. We all go through that. Abraham grew strong in faith because he knew something about God's omnipotence and about his faithfulness. He was fully assured, it said, that what God had promised, he was able to perform. And that he would. That is, he believed that God was both able and faithful. He held on to truths about God which can buoy you up through anything as you plunge into the Godhead's deepest sea who's over and under and all around you, bearing you up and bringing you home through it all whose promises are true. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. This is for you. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11. Let the word of Christ stir your faith. Maybe one of these verses is especially for you. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, Romans 8, 28, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son in glory. Faithful is he who called you, and he will Bring it to pass. First Thess 5.19 Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Second Timothy 2.13 For he cannot deny himself, and his son is in you. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Numbers 23.19 Has he said and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not make it good? Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. Surely I will strengthen you. Surely I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Isaiah 41.10. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. Isaiah 49.15. Can a woman forget her nursing child? And have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Look at my wounds. Your walls are continually before me. There is none like the God of Israel, Deuteronomy 33, 26, who rides the heavens to your help and through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is a dwelling place for you and underneath are the everlasting arms. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Romans 8, 35. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer. In the end, in all these things, because of all these things, you will overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved you. 
Not through the greatness of our faith, but through the greatness of our God. It's guaranteed in all these things, the worst of the worst, we will look back and see that we overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's like we sang, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone. I will not be shaken. There is no one like you. Just show me who you are. That's all I need. The knowledge of a great God. Faith, you might say, is in the eye of the beholder. So behold your God. In stormy seas, you can walk on water like Abraham did. And how did he do it? Well, for him, it was one step at a time who planted his feet on invisible truths, on foundational truths that are real, that are revolutionary. He lifted one foot and placed it squarely on the truth that God is powerful. And then he lifted the other foot and uh, placed it squarely on the truth that God is powerful faithful and you can move forward like that too he is powerful he is faithful he is all-powerful he is faithful that's how Abraham went forth from his country and from his relatives and from his father's house it says into the land that he did not know that's how he made it through 20 years that it took to fulfill the promises that Sarah would bear a son That's how he made the long journey to Mount Moriah to sacrifice his own son. He showed us, you might say, the gospel walk from beginning to end, step by step, from faith to faith, among those who believe that God is all-powerful and personally faithful. Happens again and again all through the Christian life. As again and again we cling to what we first believed, that he is all-powerful to save and that he's faithful to save. Yeah, we don't need, really, a revolution out there nearly as much as we need a revolution in here, down here. And that's why he's given us his word where he tells us that he works everything in our lives after the pattern of the cross to bring life from the dead. And as surely as we, you know, take these elements into our bodies, it is the pattern of our lives because he's all-powerful in us and he's faithful to do this through us. Him whom we believe from death to life everlasting with him. Well, again, I don't think it's coincidental that we get to come to the communion table today. It's the perfect application to this passage. If you're taking communion at home, now's the time to take the cups, 
that you should have uh, with the elements. I'd invite you to, to uh, do that as well, those of you who are here. After I read the words of institution, just peel off, as Joy said, the, the very top uh, seal and take the bread, and then the second seal is the juice under it. If it's, um, what this does is symbolizes the reality, if you think about it, of Christ who's in us to do all this for us. He's in us as surely as we take the bread and the cup into ourselves. And so this table is for those who have asked Christ into their hearts, which is how you bring his faithful power to bear uh, in your own life. If you haven't done this, we'd ask you not to partake of this because it's not true of you, but it can be very easily. And uh, we'd love to show you how uh, afterwards. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 said, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we want to thank you that as we'll now sing, death was arrested when we believed and our life began and that was just the beginning because again and again you bring life from the dead in our lives and call into being that which does not exist until we're with you in glory. We thank you in Jesus' name.